Hello, 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 and welcome back to this week's episode of the Mike the Gardener Gardening Podcast, sponsored by those lovely people at Natural Grower, who supply plant-based products for both organic and chemical-free gardening and your houseplants. Well, this week's episode is a particularly special one for me because today I'm taking you to North Wales to visit a garden that I've been a huge fan of for almost three years now. And I've been a huge fan because I've been following its owners, Tom and Jenny Williams, on Instagram. Now I guess, and in fact I know, some of you already know Tom and Jenny and their beautiful laundry garden in Denby, North Wales. I've interviewed Jenny and Tom on Instagram at least a couple of times and been rather envious of my Insta friends who've been able to visit the garden. And each time I've interviewed them, they've always insisted I come and visit. Well, just a few weeks ago, I was invited to a garden in Cheshire by my friend Stephen the Gardener. Jenny, who was aware of this invite, contacted me straight away and invited me to come and stay with them for the weekend. I leapt at the chance, so I beetled up the motorway with the biggest smile on my face and drove across the border from England into North Wales. And boy oh boy, what a beautiful country Wales is. Even crossing the border, it seems different. Beautiful rolling hills. And of course the road signs are in English and Welsh. Borada. <laughs> yeah, you didn't know I was bilingual, did you? Stop it. (laughs) Luckily, Jenny and Tom agreed to chat with me on the podcast. And so here is my chat with them both and a wander around their beautiful garden. I opened our chat by asking them how they came to be the owners of the laundry garden. Well, the the laundry and and its estate has been in our family for uh, just around 150 years and it came to me about 37 years ago. Okay. So it had been filled with tenants, and then we took control of it about 13 years ago, and we started the garden at that point. But did you know at that point what you were going to do? Did you have a plan? Heck no. No, no. not to this degree. No. <laughs> so how did, that pl- how did that plan come together? When did you sit down and decide, what are we going to do with this? Oh. Oh gosh. Well, in the very in the very beginning, we knew we wanted to create a garden initially to look out onto from the house. So we concentrated on that firstly, and it, it kind of evolved and morphed into something a lot bigger. <laughs> we keep choosing new areas. Yeah, and you've got a lot of areas to choose from. So let's have a let's have a wander around the garden then. So where are we now? Let's just set the scene for everybody listening at home. Where are we? We call this area the house garden because it's right by the house and it's good to give each section of the garden a title so that whenever each one of us are working in a part of the garden, we can identify where they are. (laughs) So we're in the house garden to start with. So what was the house garden like when you first came here? It was a run-down cottage garden, really run-down. So we took a JCB to it and just flattened the lot. I highly, I highly recommend a JCB to any gardener. I really do. He's our best friend. <laughs> so it was on a slope, I believe, wasn't it? Because it's on two levels here at the moment. That's right. It was a gentle slope. And we decided that, we first of all, we needed a, a, a terrace. And so we, we put the terrace in and a retaining wall. 
Right. Okay, so what have we got here? So we've got the house in front of us. It's for everybody at home. There are pictures on the uh, podcast page. It's stunning. It just looks quintessentially English. It's stunning. So what did you do first then? We wrote on the back of an envelope. We stood inside the house and tried to imagine what we actually wanted to achieve now. And we, we literally got a back of an envelope, a pencil, and did some sketches. Tom likes his ovals. And circles. And so, circles, yeah, yeah. So we'd like to bring in a few little geometric shapes into the thing. Yeah. So when it comes to the basic design, do, does one of you take control of that? Does one of you have, like, the initial idea and then you start to work on that? Or does it just work together? Uh, to, Jenny to, would like to say together. that it's, it's her... <laughs> together! <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> but, but, but actually... Ignore him. Ignore him. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful melding of minds. Oh, come on. Which I orchestrate. Oh, <laughs> you always like to get the credit, don't you? I like that melding of minds. That sounds really good, but uh, should we move on then? <laughs> yes. OK, let's, let's walk around then. So we're on the lower terrace here. So tell us, what I mean, what's the paving? It's reclaimed Yorkstone. And it looks lovely. Yes, it, it came from a project. I'm a builder, and it came from a project that I was working on. Oh, okay. So I, I was working for a, a local family. They wanted to reduce the size of their terrace, and he he sort of lent on me a little bit and said, do you want to buy the remains? And I just said, yeah, OK. And then um, it sat around for a couple of years, and we found a use for it. So you didn't at that point know that it was going to be used in your home garden here the house garden no. no no it's one of those things where we we acquire certain things put them away and wait for the right moment and the right place where it feels where it should look right mm. and and work for the surroundings so hard landscaping agreed about the planting areas did you do you sort of like because you've got like a little um box parterre area there was that all part of the plan? Did you sort of plan to that degree? Didn't have enough paving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing how this works now. I'm getting a clearer picture of how this works. <laughs> well, I, I always fancied having something evergreen to the front of the house that would always look beautiful all year round when mm. the garden goes to sleep in the winter. And it made sense to have something within the terrace and it was just a case of whereabouts to put it and it made it, it works as I come out uh, come downstairs in the hallway and look out onto the box parterre it's a, it's a nice pleasing greeting to me every morning it's also nice to it's nice to break up a big open space as well yeah, yeah. so I think you know from again working back to aesthetics it a big a, a big hard stone area doesn't work for me yeah, I, I understand that completely. It needs, and the one thing I said to Jenny earlier was no matter where you point your phone or your camera, there's a beautiful picture. And so the aesthetics really are sort of apparent here. Mm. They, yeah. they do matter a lot. Yeah. So talk us through some of the plants then. So on the, on the front wall of the house, what have we got? We've got some roses there. Yeah, so outside the kitchen window, we've got Rose Highgrove. And then by the front door, which is a woad blue, I think it is a fired earth colour 
it marries beautifully with a yellow rose. So I did a bit of research on yellow roses that would sit beautifully by the blue front door and teasing Georgia came out tops every time. It's a real beautiful butter yellow, absolutely stunning. And then outside the sitting room window is rose dons de fur and that is just gorgeous. Scented roses? Not very, not as scented as you'd think um, because they don't get quite as much sun there. the house faces does the fur smells gorgeous actually when i yeah i noticed when i when i was pruning it (laughs) (laughs) so talking of pruning then sort of like how do you sort of like split maintenance jobs who's responsible for what do you have a a plan or a schedule of who does what no schedule but um jenny has the bits that she would prefer to do and then i tend i like the way he says that (laughs) i i work around that and i i of course you do. I, I do all of the trees that have been trained to do things that they don't like to do. Um, right. they, they are my, my job. Okay. And the hedges. And the, I do the hedges as well. It's this melding of minds again. It, between the two of you, it sort of works. Somehow it works. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, do, I do the majority of the weeding. You like to show off and pull out big weeds that I've missed and sort of make me look as if I haven't done anything. <laughs> <laughs> let's have a look around the garden then, shall we? <laughs> so let's, we're walking into the front uh, of the house here. So we've got the parterre, we've got some lovely wooden furniture here. So tell me about the rest of the garden. What have we got? So as we look from the house up onto the first terrace in the house garden, you can see there are some beach hedging. Yeah that Tom has lovingly clipped since they went in. They were, I don't know, how many inches tall? They were oh, tiny. They were a couple of feet, probably. Two, oh. two foot tall. So they were two foot tall, and we're, what, about sort of six foot there now, or thereabouts? Yes. Yeah, so they've been in for about 14 years, wow. and they were they were trained very, very narrowly to begin with, so that they, when they bushed out, they would still be a fairly narrow hedge. Well, we're getting to the point now where they are growing a bit taller than we probably want them because they're starting to obscure too much of what's on the other side more than what we wanted so Did that's an instruction for me to to, <laughs> to prune that I guess so, that's in the nicest a, possible a, way a lot of hidden meaning in that sentence but there's, I mean, it really does provide great structure in the winter as well because when all the sort of like the pretties have gone down under you've got real bare bones of a garden here and beach is just a because it holds on to its foliage and you've got that lovely brown foliage so it's interest all year round. Oh, it's perfect and it divides the garden as well. It's we, we like to have garden rooms but because this section of garden is quite long it was good to divide it with the hedge to break it up and it also gives you um, a sense of what's further ahead on, on the other side you know it's a sense of surprise when you get over on yeah because there's a little sort of peek through i can see there's a glimpse of the garden i can see some persicaria beyond so it's sort of like just inviting you to go up the steps there and have a close look at the uh, the other side of the garden absolutely and there's a tree that sits just in front of the beach hedge to the right hand side which is a prunus shirote and i wanted a tree that would sort of again give you all year round interest and it's a more of a spreading tree mm. and the blossom is incredible and the autumn color is spectacular and the general shape of it as well is is more so what i was after as well so in the winter months you've got your your beach and then you've got this beautiful structural tree that just sits in front of it as a nice um skeleton in the winter that i think is magnificent so going back to your earlier days where did you learn gardening who taught you gardening 
We're self-taught, aren't we, really? Yeah, self-taught. It's... I mean, my, my parents are very keen, well, my mother especially is a very keen gardener, and my father enjoys growing trees. So, uh, yes, the, the background's there from that point of view. So no you, background. Yeah. You, 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 so, Tom, you came in with some knowledge, and Jenny, no knowledge for you. No, none at all. That Gardening's never really been in the depths of my family. All I know is that my uh, from my paternal side he had an allotment and grew some vegetables and my grandmother she grew flowers but both of them well my grandmother died when I was very very young so I would never have had much knowledge of what was what she actually did grow and or or participated in the garden with her unfortunately and unfortunately my, my grandfather he died when I was in my teens so again I didn't really get chance to um to gain any knowledge from him either so I suppose they're there are some green roots in my blood but other than that my mother and father were never real 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 gardeners as such you know they liked a tidy garden but I wouldn't have called them gardeners so when you were sat there with your back of the envelope planning this and with your knowledge as it was then that must have been quite daunting for both of you you've got a huge area here to to plant up and you've turned it into a stunning garden but what were your what was your thinking then you know the smaller bits weren't daunting i think bite-sized bits you can you can get your head around yeah and because we we'd scraped them clean there weren't really any weeds to worry about so it was a a blank canvas really a weed canvas just earth yeah when we walked into the wall garden it's a different story you just get that horrible feeling in your stomach oh my god you know what have we got sort of thing so we just closed the door to that but um yes the the smaller bits are easy to get your head round and and uh, if, if it was just one bit at a, at a time then we could cope with it yeah um, and i guess having done a small bit and then like the success and the confidence you get and enables you to carry on it does yes it's but it when you you'll see in the wall garden it's a much bigger beast to deal with because of the actual enormity in the space of it whereas here it it was it was easier in a way because it most people are used to gardening in smaller spaces and you can plant on a smaller scale with your beds and borders as well and it's it 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 sort of falls into place a lot easier than and than a bigger bigger space that's you know one border could be the size of anyone's garden Mm. and that's quite scary when you have no idea and you've never done that before where should we head now then shall we head round the back of the house to where the crab apples are the peach crab apples yeah so we're in in a lawned area here with a stunning border in front of us well, because there's so much structure in this area, so we've got the, the trained pleached crab apples and we've got clipped beech, which we'll come back to. I wanted to soften it a little bit with some very relaxed planting. And this area, which is against the house, just needed to be free and with plants that wanted to be in this area, as in right plant, right place. Right so place. it's very dry, it's very hot and it gets beaten by the sun for pretty much most of the day. So any plant that went in here, it was a bit of a do or die thing. So I just divided things that I already had and just planted them and left them. Obviously I watered them in, but it was just a case of see how they do. And if they don't do, then it's tough. I'll just try something else. And when you're looking for new planting areas, because obviously more planting areas means more maintenance one way or another, is that something you're conscious of? Do you actually start to think about, hang on a second, 
how much maintenance is going to be attached to that and does that affect your planting choices? In the beginning, not really for me because what we did here and in the house garden and the Lime Avenue, it was all, it felt right and it felt easy to maintain at the time. But as we've done more and more projects within the wall garden, it morphs into something much, much bigger. And I think we've reached the stage now where any project is going to be a big project and any big project requires big maintenance. Mm. So the we've got the pleached crab apples here in a, in a circular shape. Where, what's the inspiration? Where do you get your inspiration from? Well, in this instance, it's Arnie Maynard's uh, design work. So the pleached crab apples, the shaped box and the beach are all a sort of homage, homage to, to, Mr. Maynard. to Mr Maynard indeed Absolutely. and maybe not quite his his way of doing things but our way of of doing what what he does so it's just like a nod to sort of Arnie in this situation so for the rest of the garden do you where do you get your inspiration from do you find yourself pouring through magazines books going to gardens I think we did initially I don't think we do now but mm. I th- to begin with definitely and it would be Monty Don Tom Stewart Smith Arnie well Arnie Maynard was quite was, was initially yes. quite a big inspiration to us because we liked his style and his planting and the way he married up a lot of his elements in the garden to the period of the property which resonates especially for us with having an old property here it uh, it made a lot of sense mm. to do that um, but yes, I think different people at different stages of the garden appeal to you and work right. And there's still places we'd love to visit now, but haven't got the time to do it. So, so now, is it that you found the confidence just to use and find your own style and the garden sort of grows organically from that? Definitely. I think it is that, yeah, entirely, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. we had this conversation yesterday when we were walking around, Is like, great gardeners obviously are inspired initially by other people but then they find their own confidence their own style and then it's just your garden definitely definitely if we're if we're trying to work out a new project in an area of the garden and you know we can draw blanks for years and and still come back to it and and then walk away thinking i'm not ready i haven't seen anything or nothing's felt right then we'll sit on it and wait until suddenly I'll see a picture in a, in a book or I'll see a picture in a magazine or we'll go somewhere and that vision suddenly appears in that space, in that part of the garden. You think, that's it. That's what we're going to do and that's what's going to work. And then it's all hands on deck. <laughs> yes, it's now. Right now. No, I want it now. Come on. So it's, like, it's a long sort of lead in sometimes, just thinking about it subconsciously and then all of a sudden those the, everything falls into place it presents itself yes. yeah. yeah and then it's then the hard work starts okay where are we going to head now then we'll go to the dragon first and then we'll lead on to the lime avenue wonderful after you so how many people do you have stay during the course of a year? Do you, do you keep numbers or...? We do, and we, do, we don't push the bed and breakfast too much, so we, we probably only have about uh, 60 to 80 guests a year for right. the bed and breakfast. And then the roundhouses, we're hoping for quite a lot more. And that's the incredible thing. Not only have you got uh, a huge garden here to maintain develop and move forward but you're running a business alongside of all of that and Tom you work full-time as well it's like how do you how do you fit it all in how do you do it all (laughs) (laughs) hysterical laughter we go to bed very late so the dragon garden or just the dragon 
we haven't really given this area a name. We just say the dragon, just but we've, dragon, I suppose the, the dragon garden sounds good, maybe. Yeah. So tell us, for everybody listening, why the dragon? What's the relevance to the dragon? How did he come here, or she? Well, we saw we went to the Tatton show a while ago, and I, I can't remember the day, and we saw these two beautiful sculptures, a deer and a stag, and they were done in stainless steel. And, and the, the sculptor was there. We had a chat with him, Ben Broadbent. And we, we knew we wanted something from him, but we didn't know what. So then we had a chat about a year later and, and said, we've decided on a dragon. And so he said, OK, I'll do some maquettes for you. And this is what we've ended up with. And it's actually, it's made from, it's recycled from a copper water tank. Oh, it's an incredible piece of work. So it's it's a dragon. This sounds strange. It's a dragon on a pole. Yes. I, I've probably done that a big injustice. It is a pole dancing dragon. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's 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 essentially our Welsh flag. Yeah, it well. it is. And what's lovely is it's just outside the front of the house. As you said yesterday, Jenny, it's looking towards the house. It's protecting the house. It's just a stunning piece of work. I love it. Right, so let's talk about about the planting around the dragon then, because it is, it's fiery. What have we got? Well, we've got Achillea terracotta. We've got Persicaria red dragon, which is quite pretty. Perfect, yeah. Yeah, even though it has white flowers, but the foliage <laughs> itself is a good, it offsets all the other colours. Yeah. We've got Helenium morium beauty, is that how you pronounce it? Morium beauty, yeah. We've got totally tangerine, a geum, totally tangerine. And we have got um, sedum, autumn joy, which we've just moved from somewhere else in the garden. Mm. And we've got some echinaceas as well. Um, I'm afraid I can't remember the name of them. They're from a Sarah Raven collection. So it's the yeah. Sarah Raven salsa collection, which look uh, amazing. And the Achillea and um, Hellenians are from her as well. And we've got also some crocosmias. And we've got crocosmia lucifer, Luc- lucifer which lucifer, is, from, yeah. I mean, I think if anyone has crocosmia, they know it it divides and divides and you, you you can end up with hundreds and thousands of it so it's easy to move but we've also got one called George Davidson oh yeah I love George Davidson that's a lovely sort of orangey color as well yeah yeah so that's just coming just into beginning. bud now and I'm I, I've not I've actually not seen it in in person so I'm looking forward to seeing that flower um, and we've got the pheasant grass dotted around it, which sort of adds that sort of smokiness and that frothiness around the place, which is lovely. And then we've got some heucheras. So we've got heuchera marmalade and we've got heuchera obsidian, which you took a shine to. Uh, this, yeah, now this heuchera obsidian, it's very different to the heuchera obsidian that I got at home and just sort of like location and soil. Uh, it looks different, but it's lovely. I just love that really dark colour. It's just perfect for this area here. Yeah. So we've got heuchera obsidian right next to Hacknacloa. And they look, I love mixing Con- completely contrasting colours. I think it's it's a good it's a good way to garden because you know they 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 marry so well and different leaf form and different colour. It's it's great. And that's I think looking up at this border now. You've got the grass. Is, is that Deschampsia? The grass yes, there. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, very yeah. sort of floaty, very frothy. Then you like say you've got Noel, the pers- which is near you. It is Noel Gardens just yeah. around the corner from me with Neil Lucas. Must yeah. go there. And then in front of us then. From the dragon, we've got the... The Lime Avenue. <laughs> How long has the Lime Avenue... It looks quite established. How long has that been here? About 14 years. So they went in as 12-foot whips, and we trained them using a steel framework with wires 
and they were woven into each other and um, we've been training and pruning them ever since. It's just, it's lovely. It, it's very peaceful, very serene, the planting. It's very calming, the grass underneath. Yes, well, up, up until um, early this year, sort of January time, it was all of this area we're standing in now, including where the dragon is, was just gravel. And it, it's, it's obviously been like that for, since the lime trees went in. And we always talked about putting a pathway in here at some point but it was a case of waiting for that moment to arise and when we could get the um, hard landscaping and there were lots there's just lots of thinking and lots of decisions Mm -hmm. and again it's one of those things where you sort of have to walk away and think and think and think and then it becomes apparent on what what needs to be done so technical stuff what's your soil like here what what are the conditions like it's uh, free-draining loam. Loam? That's what we all dream of. I know, it is, isn't it? <laughs> so everything we put in grows reasonably well, actually. And it's it's sort of neutral to alkaline. And sort of like in terms of moisture retention? It does hold, it does hold the moisture reasonably well. Yeah. But we mulch heavily anyway, so um, we, don't, we don't sort of tend to lose an awful lot of moisture from our borders. So mulching at the beginning of the season? Yeah, February, March. And what do you use? Do you use your own stuff or is it stuff that you, you buy, bring in? We buy it in, we get a lorry load of mulch. Because yeah. yeah, you'd actually need quite a lot of mulch. You'd need to be producing quite a lot here, wouldn't you, actually thinking about it? Yeah, silly question. Bring in 18 cubic metres of mulch. Wow, and that goes around the whole garden. Now that in itself, how long does it take to mulch a garden? Well, that increases our gardening time in the winter by a lot because no sooner you've cut back and you've weeded, you then have to start top dressing it. And you start coming into March and April and it's like a race Mm. because everything's coming up out the ground and you don't want to be tipping mulch over and flattening it when it's just fresh new shoots. So there's there's a real tricky time frame on on trying to get everything to work accordingly because you don't want to mulch too late, you don't want to mulch too early, but at the same time when you've got so many different areas to mulch, it's it's quite a race. It's a big job. I mean, we get to the end of the season, September, October time. What sort of jobs are you doing at that time of year? Leaf clearing. <laughs> That's all we do. That's literally from from the minute the leaves start to fall. Um, we've also got woodland around the outside of the wall garden as well. Mm. So lots of trees there. And there's some big, big lime trees surrounding the outskirts of the garden and a big oak tree as well. And once they start dropping their leaves, it is relentless. I'm usually doing a final cut on the yew hedges. Of course, yeah. Probably a little bit late, but towards the end of September, yeah. So is there is there any downtime for you? This must be sort of all-consuming all year round. It is. I mean, you sort of... I think you get to spring. So I try and make my deadline around April time to be done with as much of the big jobs as possible. So you're mulching, you're cutting back and you're weeding in hope that we kind of get to May. That window between May and June, we, we like to try and be ready because mm. usually... Every other year we open our garden around that time anyway. So if we're not ready by then, then we're not going to be ready at all. So we do sort of have a moment, don't we, where it's kind of, oh, this is wonderful. And we walk around and sort of enjoy what we've done here. And it's, it's really magical at that time of year because you've done all that hard work in the winter months. And then you can just reap the benefits when it's all coming to fruition. And when you have visitors to the garden, 
It must be lovely for you to see the reaction on their faces. It's one of the reasons why we do it, to share it. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the thing about gardens, isn't it? It's just so lovely to have other people round to them to have a look and just to take in all of your hard work. I mean, let's face it. Most gardeners, I don't think I do. I don't think I know a gardener that, that doesn't like to show off their garden, mm. to to share it, to to you know let them see. I think also with gardens, it's part of you. It's your personality as well. So every garden's different, and it shows that person's inner fieriness that that they want to show off. Be it growing vegetables. Um, putting structures in it's it's all different and it suits different people and i think that's what we were saying earlier sort of like okay we can be inspired by people like you were with arnie maynard but then you get to the point where you find your own stride and you find your own sort of personality with the garden and you just make it your own and that for me is when i walked around the garden yesterday you can see you two in the garden it's it's not like any other garden it's beautiful in its own way but it's it's yours Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's the way we, the way we express ourselves. Yes. Yeah, okay, where are we heading next then? Shall we go into the wall garden, Mike? I think we'll have to. This is the bit that I'm really looking forward to. You open the door. Oh, would you mind? <laughs> So we're heading towards the walled garden. We've got the rose bushes and some box just in front, a paved area. So, Tom, what's the planting sort of like just in front of the wall? There's a fig, which is, again, about 14 years old. And we planted it, yes, in, in 2008, and it got frosted to the ground in 2009 in that bad winter. And then we had a further bad winter, didn't we, in 2010? That's right, yeah, and yeah. It got frosted to the ground then as well, and we just thought this thing's never going to survive. But now it's... Well, it's certainly surviving now. Quite big, and, it, and it's, it's got a lot of figs on it. Yeah, that must be, what, five, six metres by five, six metres at least? It's looking very healthy. And then on the right-hand side of the door, the door to the walled garden, we've got a... Oh, we've got a self-fertile kiwi, and it does produce fruit, be it only small, tiny, eeny-weeny things. Um, it, uh, it, it's a triffid, actually. It grows pretty big and needs to be kept in its box quite a bit. Mm. And I'm yet to learn better ways of training it to get bigger fruit. Yeah. Um, so I think you've got to be, I, I believe you have to be quite brutal and be a bit, a bit more in check with it, which I may do one day when time allows. So who do you go to if, if you ever need help and advice with any of the plants in your garden? Who do you call upon if, it, if it's something you don't know yourself? Well, Tom's parents gave him an old, and we don't know how old it is, it must be 50 plus years old, an old Reader's Digest. Oh, gosh. One of those encyclopedias. <laughs> I've got one at home. Pages are falling out of it yeah. now. It's it's crazy. Yeah. And I think we'll usually sit at the kitchen table and have a good look at that and, and see how it would have been done all those years ago. And it's fascinating to yeah. even to even read it. Whether you do that or not, that's a different story. But it's, it's interesting to learn how it would have been done all those years ago. So. Well, we were saying earlier, weren't we, sort of like... We've got lots of books that give us advice on where to plant things and what to do and when. But sometimes it doesn't always work out that way. Plants do actually survive in conditions that they might not necessarily according to the books. We do jobs at different times of years for different reasons. We were talking earlier about having to cut the hedges because of different things that might be happening. So Absolutely. Well, there are no 
rules there are guidelines i think and yeah and i said to jenny the plants don't read the books that we write they do what they think is right and they'll cope with it in some way most of the time but some of the most basic books are some of the most instructive because we we always refer back to the hessian books oh yes yeah gosh yeah they're bibles as well aren't yeah, they they, they really are. are they're a fantastic yeah. book to have um, i think yeah i had the collection of the hessian books when i was a lot lot younger and they're still there now and they they're basic but brilliant really yeah come on then let's go and open the go gate on, i'm so excited about this <laughs> right i'm just going to put this in my hand so i can actually get to the latch now for anybody who doesn't already follow you on instagram where can they find you because you've got some great reels and pictures of this really famous gate and i never thought it would become so popular because you know that I've, i spent so many times just opening the handle and walking into the garden and didn't think it would morph into something where people actually wanted to do the same as well <laughs> it's brilliant so it must be lovely when people come here and they as I'm going to do in a minute. So what's your handle on Instagram so people can find you if they're not already there? So my handle is The Laundry Garden. All is one word. All is one word. If you're not already there, you need to check it out. And now we're going to open the gate into the walled garden. Nice healthy thud there. And, oh, wow. Here it is. This is just absolutely amazing. I'm in the walled garden, a gravel path stretching out in front of me. I can see Italian columns and there's plants galore. There's geraniums, hydrangeas, verbascums. How, how long has it taken you to make this wonderful space? I'm, I'm just bowled over. We're coming into our eighth year now. So we started around 2013 and it was just a blank canvas. It was just grass with one single mulberry tree just in the distance over there. And that was the only tree standing in the garden. Now, when we first started talking in the house garden, you were saying that this was the area that was probably out of all and the most daunting. Where did you start? I mean, how firstly, how big is this space? It's one acre in size, isn't it? And how tall are the walls? The walls are about 10 foot tall. How long have the walls been here, Annie? And I've noticed as well, there are nails all across the walls, hundreds and hundreds of nails. There are, that's 250 years worth of nailing into the wall. They're, they date back to 1770. So just the history alone, I mean, that in itself, but then you've got this planting in front. So how did you start? What, what were your first steps? Well, the first thing to do is to sort out the... The, the basics get in a path and perhaps the hedges and a main lawn and because we already had plans for those so the paths where do they go well we had to just line them up with the entrances it, mm-hmm. made, it made sense to do that yeah yeah and you, you well, made them wide enough i made them wide enough so that we could get our machine down here because that's, good thinking that's the big help here is yeah. we need machines so um as we were digging for the edges of the pathway we we found some of the old path edges, some of the old slate edges. Oh, and here they are. There they were. So we knew we were doing the right thing. And that was that was quite exciting, actually. You know, it's like digging up an old ancient bottle or something, and it's kind of like, <gasps> you know, it's a very exciting moment. Well, yeah, because herein lies some, some of the history of this space, and it's just here and preserved. That's amazing. So when it came to dividing up the space, did you have, how long did it take for you to work out the plan for what you are going to do? Well, first of all, we had to get over that daunting feeling every time we walked in here of how on earth are we going to do this and manage it and even garden it. So it was a case of 
trying to look at other gardens that had big beds and borders. So we did make a few trips to Arley Hall in Cheshire. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the first places that inspired me for the Lime Avenue, actually. So I took a lot of inspiration because they've got some incredible herbaceous borders, very iconic ones as well. And so I would spend a bit of time trying to work out what they'd put in them, what worked, what what looked right um, and 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 then you sort of just have a go yourself and, and hope for the best <laughs> I just oh, hope. it's a big space to have a go yourself and hope it works it I the the word daunting I'm looking around I'm looking at the circumference and the the wall on the far side which seems like a hundred miles away gosh yeah daunting seems such a small word really yeah but that's gone now and I think in, in the past, say, three years, once the yew hedging came up a lot more and some of the trees started to mature, it then started to fill out those spaces a lot better, mm. which made it feel less daunting and more rewarding. So now when we come in here, we sort of feel... Oh, what would, well, what's the word? I could think of some words, but oh. the, I want to know what your words are. Exhausted. No, oh no. no I, it's a, well, there is that's a good word. That's a good word. Very content. I think we feel that we're doing the right thing. And I think that the whole thing, it does feel manageable. I mean, it may look, there is a lot there, but um, we seem to be able to get rid of it. Emotional as well. Mm. There's a real emotion attached to this whole garden. You know, your blood, sweat and tears have gone into this. Yeah. And there are definitely moments where I can stand in certain points of the garden and it can bring me almost to tears because I sort of think, we did this Mm. together and we've created something really special that means a lot to us and hopefully will resonate to other people and, and something for them to enjoy and appreciate as well. I think... Uh, coming in here for the first time I can see that you and I think when someone sees somebody else's garden that first impact those first emotions that you feel um, it's incredible and the one thing I'm noticing with the planting is a lot of repeated planting so plants that are dotted along the borders so I guess that helps the whole thing come together yes I think with repetition planting especially when you've got long lengthy borders that lead you to the end of the garden it's very good to use repetition with the same plant because it slows the eye down Mm. and it makes you stop as well so it's good to have punctuation plants as well so a beautiful rose or a beautiful statement tree you know and also um, planting successional planting as well so at the moment the hydrangeas are coming out and only a few weeks ago the geraniums were, were out so there's always something that just stops you in your tracks and makes you want to look but that repetition makes you want to just go a bit further as well successional planting that's i think the key and that is could be potentially very difficult how do you make sure there's interest in the garden year round so when we come in here in the spring what have you got here in the spring so in the spring the magnolias we've oh. got we've got, in the two corners of the lawn we've planted a couple of magnolia stellatas mm. which i get so excited when they come into flower because they are sort of like the pinnacle of the start of within here yeah yeah and we've yeah. got snowdrops on the outside of the ball garden which come much earlier than that yeah. but i would probably say the magnolias are one of the first things to start flowering and we've got where the pillars are we've planted a magnolia limelight which is a beautiful goblet shaped and it's like a butter yellow 
and, and directly underneath them I've planted Narcissi Misty Glen which has a oh, fabulous name. perfume yeah. and they just shine together and it's 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 wonderful it's a real moment to have in the garden in the springtime when everything else is asleep and you've just got the structure sitting there it's lovely mistakes along the way things that haven't worked maybe quite so well or have you been quite lucky with your plant choices oh gosh we've made mistakes and and (laughs) do you know what i'm glad you said that (laughs) definitely you've got to make mistakes to progress and to to get somewhere and and to learn Um, and that's the only way i do learn is just try by try by trial and error we planted four cypresses in here along along the west wall and now we've only got two we moved two out they weren't doing so well in here whether they were just in a bad patch of earth or, mm. or simply a bad spot um, and one of them's actually thrived outside the wall garden so there's a part of the garden that we call maggie's border which was the first big border we tackled and i got the backbone planting in and i was worried how am i going to fill in the gaps how am i going to fill this area to capacity so that i don't have to be weeding it so often mm. and then this lady up the road called maggie came along and asked us if we wanted to have her blue border and it was a no-brainer obviously yes <laughs> <laughs> and we've got a bit of a nursery bed in this border here in the beginning mm. um, where we're standing so we initially put everything in there but we had quite a lot of iris pallida so tom put a thread of iris pallida running through the centre. Mr Unimaginative, I just did them in a line <laughs> about, about four foot into, into the border and it was, it's worked very well actually. Yes, it has. Oh, we'll have to have a look at those. Yeah. But when Maggie came to look at uh, this border the following year, once it was all starting to establish, she couldn't believe how tall the iris pallidas were. She said they never grew that tall in her garden and she's just up the hill from here. So I think in here... I think it's got its own microclimate and everything's more on steroids, I think. Yeah, well, I suppose you've got the re- the heat in the walls, which retains heat at night and, yeah, it's, a, it's own microclimate. How deep are the borders, just looking at them? 14 foot. OK, well, what's, what's that in new money? That must be about three, four metres or thereabouts. Um, yeah, about yeah. that, isn't it? Yeah. Three yeah. or four metres. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fair... Four four yeah, One border is probably the size of someone's garden. Well, that's what I'm sort of thinking here. This is my garden in this border here. Uh, it's, it's a lot of plants to cram in. So had you... You must have taken chances with plants that you'd not grown before just to see how they went, or did you have some sort of um, knowledge, previous knowledge of all of the plants that you've put in? No, and that's the great thing about gardening is you just got to go for it mm. and try anything and I'm the sort of person that will see something in someone else's garden and go that tree's amazing and, you know like the prunus chirote in the house garden I mm. saw that at Tom's parents garden and I was like I have to have that in our garden I just loved everything about it so I get seduced when I see something somewhere else and think well we'll try it here and just see just go for it try it as we look at the garden now are there any particular plants that you are particularly sort of like fond of the Maclea plume poppy is a good one, but it is a bit of a thug and can take over and we do have to keep putting it back in its box. But at the moment, it's so majestic mm. and is and the flower plumes, some of them are reaching just above the wall. Yeah, and so that's a good 11, 12 foot there, isn't it? It's huge, but it's quite a statement plant. And yeah, I'm, I'm loving that at the moment. Tom, anything for you? Probably two weeks ago, the the rose against the west wall which is chevy chase and that's beautiful sort of uh, tight red clusters of roses Mm. and and it fills the wall and and actually it had an accidental baby or an accidental clone as well it it layered itself and we we snipped it off and let it grow on its own so it's oh that's nice a plant for free we've now got two (laughs) 
how do you how do you plan next then for for the walled garden what are your plans for the future oh goodness where do we start you want to move the cutting garden don't you yes because when we plant when we planted up this cutting garden you know we we put the the borders in in the diagonal and i wanted it to be quite perennial as well with some dahlias threaded in and we didn't we didn't put any irrigation in and because this is a south facing area it does get baked and Mm. scorched so i can find myself several times a week spending hours watering in here especially the dailies you know if they've just gone in the ground and you know i don't particularly want to be a slave to the garden that's not the point of gardening for me Mm. i want to be enjoying it and not feeling pressured into having to be out there night after night watering copiously so in the southeast corner of the garden, near where the orchard is, is sort of the, the area where we'd like to move to next project-wise. And I now feel, because we've gone for this Mediterranean-style planting with the plane trees, it would make more sense to have this area as a Mediterranean-style garden. It just is shouting to be that and would make a lot more sense which mean a lot it means a lot of upheaval moving the cutting garden over there <laughs> yes tom's rolling his eyes at the moment i can see him sort of <laughs> i caught that out of the corner of my eye <laughs> <laughs> he loves it really i promise you he does love it <laughs> so it's a case of actually choosing what works in this cutting garden as well so i will probably do away with half of what's in here and put the stuff that works over onto the other side and possibly a greenhouse which you know is what all walled gardens have and what we don't have here that people notice and yeah so then just transform this area into into what it should be and it would be so much more low maintenance because we won't have to water it and we can actually come here and enjoy it and not have to look around thinking oh that's dying it needs watering oh my goodness i can't enjoy this space as i should at the end of a busy day when you've got five ten minutes to sit down whereabouts do you like to head to in the garden do you have a favorite spot each of you that you oh let's go and have a a drink there do you know what we don't we we tend to have a drink and walk around together okay yeah and and then stop where there's a weed (laughs) (laughs) but when but when you actually have that downtime you're walking around with your glass of something chilled is it a continual conversation about this is looking good that's looking good or what's happening there or do you actually take time not to talk about the garden it's it's a pleasurable thing that we've created that we love to talk about and could talk about till the cows come home and it's it's a project and we all love a project as well let's face it mm. and this garden is just a lifetime project that we've we've bought into and we love it it's it's sort of ingrained in us and we 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 talk about it without thinking garden's been here for a long time anyway prior to you coming in here what about the the long term are there any gardeners coming up in the family um to take the mantle on from you or have you have you, have you thought about that to sort of like to the to the boys like gardening i think they've been put off where's mum and dad in their garden when are we going on holiday we're not (laughs) are you going to help us with this job no No. what are you going to pay me (laughs) but i but i remember you know you you get to a the age that your boys are and there is a bit of a i'm I'm not into and i was always into gardening from the age of seven but i did go through a phase at that age when it's like it's not for me but 
it will probably return, do you think? Or maybe, what, what do you think? And your thoughts on the future of the garden and who's going to take it forward? I hope one or both of them takes some sort of interest in the garden. And it doesn't have to be this garden. It can be their own gardens. Mm. And that's that would be just as wonderful. And I think if either of one of them decided to take on this garden, I'd like them to change it and make it their own and not try and keep it to the way we've done it. Because like we said before, gardening is about putting your personality into it and I don't want them to feel that they need to have this garden as a shrine to us because you know if it's their garden they should make it their garden and I would say that to anybody who takes on a garden that's belonged to someone else make it your own. I want to thank you both for sharing your garden with me and inviting me here this weekend it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for taking me around and for sharing some of the secrets and what's actually happening behind the scenes. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, thank you, Mike. And I hope you'll come back again in another season. I, I will do, yeah. I need to come and see the snowdrops. Yes, <laughs> yeah. definitely. You're more than welcome. Well, my thanks to Jenny, Tom and the boys, Luke and John, for making me feel so welcome during my weekend staying with them all. And thank you both for chatting to me on the podcast. If you haven't been there, then go And if you don't follow them on Instagram, then do. If you want more information about The Laundry Garden or wish to stay at The Laundry Garden, then head to their website, thelaundryretreatnorthwales.co.uk. That's all as one word. Or head to their Instagram page, The Laundry Garden. And whilst you're there on Instagram, don't forget to give me a follow. I'm Mike underscore the gardener and you can catch up with me to see what I'm doing in my garden and perhaps even catch me most Sundays live at 10 a.m British summertime where I do an hour or so chatting about things to be doing in the garden take you for a tour we call it the Sunday stroll and you're more than welcome to come and join me there in the meantime if you haven't already do follow or subscribe and if you are able do leave a review And as always, I will be here next week with more gardening fun and information. So I look forward to seeing you all then. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.